Glad that you're here. If you're brand new, it's an honor to have you. My name is Scott Hatfield, and uh, we had a big event this past weekend, and only half of us uh, could, could be a part of it. It's called the If Gathering Spark event. There was 110 of you women there. Did you guys have fun? Yeah? Very good. A lot of tired dads in the room. Yeah, I know. I understand. I'm with you. We had, uh, we had fun. Uh, we had throw up uh, Palooza at our house uh, Friday night. Awesome. Hope you guys, you ladies had a great time. It was great. So glad that you guys uh, know. But the theme was... Who is Jesus? And that's actually what we're talking about today. Jesus is. God is. And we've been in this series. It's three parts. It's really powerful. We're talking about the character of God, that we have three specific roles. It's not three gods. It's three, three different roles that, that make one God. The Bible says that there's one God. And so we're going to dive in today and talk about this idea of who Jesus is in just a second. But I know that, that Nick kind of said something early on, and I, I didn't get a feel for it. And so some of you weren't in the room. And so I just as we're thinking about the Super Bowl thing, all right, just some of that stuff today, I know that I think I kind of know how this is going to roll. But let me just kind of hear from you. I do see some orange in the room, and you're, you're loud and proud today. That's awesome. But, but just by applause and by cheering, how many of you expect, think, hope for uh, the uh, Denver Broncos to win. Let me just hear you, all right? Okay. And how many of you, this is, how many of you think that the Carolina Panthers are going to win tonight, all right? Okay, just in case you're wondering, that first sound was a sound of bitterness, all right? That's what that was. But anyway, but, and again, I just, how many of you don't care about the game at all? You're just looking forward to the halftime show? Yeah. I think Coldplay's playing a few other bands, and then uh, and then these great commercials that people are going to spend crazy amounts of money on uh, in order for us to eat Doritos and watch another Budweiser commercial with a dog and horses. Anyway, that'll be good. But uh, but today uh, we're we're talking about this idea, uh, and I'm going to kind of dive in this way to say this: there will there will be a point in this game tonight. Okay, something will happen. Okay. Someone will either drop a ball or not sure that they dropped the ball, catch a ball, not sure that they caught the ball, uh, be inbounds, not sure that they're inbounds or out of bounds, and they'll call something, the flag will be thrown, or the, the, the referees will get together and they'll do something that's called under review. Under review. Because here's the reality, in games it matters, we want to make sure we get the right call, and, and if it's the right call, then you know what, we'll look, somebody will look in this box, watch this video, whether they're there or in New York somewhere, and they will come back and communicate that this was an accurate call, let's play on, or it was an inaccurate call, let's figure out how to make it right, and let's move forward, that's what they will do. The, the, the reality is these referees will get together, consult, review, look at, and then get the, get the right answer, and then say, here's how we're doing, here's what we're doing from here forward, let's blow the whistle and let's play the game. That will be the reality. And here's the, here's the thing. Under review is not just for sports. It's not. In fact, we should be under review a lot in our lives. This first series that we had at the very beginning of the year was called Margin. And what we did was we kind of began to kind of step back, take a look in the, 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 the mirror, uh, do some evaluation, go under review uh, about the most important things of our lives, like, like relationships. We want to we kind of get a view of that because God says that they matter. On, on money, let's, let's review how we're spending, what we're doing with our money, and time. We want to make sure that we, we invest our time wisely because we don't want to miss out on what God has for us. And in this series, God is, we're kind of doing that. We talked last week about the idea that God is Father, and, and, and we had to kind of look at the, you know, the kind of the topography of our culture that, that has this idea of what Father is, and, and it's polarizing. It's either really, really awesome, or it's really, really bad, and we had to go, listen, regardless of what your earthly father looked like, does, is, isn't, don't know him, was there, wasn't there, it was there, wasn't present, whatever, the fact is, is that God is altogether different, and so we wanted to put that under review. Today, the idea that God is Son 
We're talking about this idea that, that we want you to, to get a fresh look, uh, an accurate view, a, a great picture, a, a, a remarkable understanding of who he is. And it might cause us today to rethink everything that we've heard or thought or understood about Jesus. Some of us have been given some crazy pictures of Jesus. Some of you men in the room, here's the reality for some of you men in the room. And, and this was my view. As you think about Jesus, when you hear about him, you think, oh, this, it's just some wimpy, cheesy, neutered, castrated man who walked around holding sheep, telling everybody to be nice and get along. You kind of look like Rick Springfield, you know, with parted hair. And, and the reality is, I don't want to worship anybody I can beat up. That's kind of your mindset. And so you go, you know what, Jesus, I don't, I don't have much use for him. For some of you, you're, you're way too uncomfortable with Jesus. Meaning, you kind of put him at a distance. You don't like to think about him. You kind of live in denial of him. You think that, you know, if there is one, that he probably, if he really is there, that he probably doesn't like you, doesn't care about you, couldn't love you, wouldn't die for you, wouldn't do whatever he could to, to, to bring you back to, to God the Father. Some of you are way too uncomfortable with Jesus. Some of you are way too comfortable with Jesus. And here's what I mean. You say his name in vain. You don't really think about what he really has to say to you or what he wants to do in your life. He's your homeboy. You kind of joke around when it comes to Jesus. You, you see, you know, Talladega Nights, and when they're praying, you go, that's just no big deal. You know, a little eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus. And, you, and, and it's just not, Jesus, you're just way too comfortable with him. There's not a lot of respect. There's not a lot of admiration. There's not a lot of, you know what, I should probably kind of begin to orientate my life around him if I, if I really understand who he is. You're just way too comfortable with him. Way too comfortable. Some of us like to cut and paste. Jesus, we like to, you know, kind of like a, a buffet. You kind of put the things that you want on and you go, oh, I don't like that. We're not eating that. We're not going to do that. And that's what we do with Jesus. We go, you know what? I am going to put a big load of Jesus as Savior on my plate. I love the fact that he forgives me. I love the fact that he cares for me. I love the fact that he wants to hear my prayers. I love the fact that, that, that he forgives me of all my sins. I'm all for that, but I don't want him being Lord of my life. Don't want it. Don't want the things that, that he's, he, that the fact that he wants to be Lord, leader of my life. I, I'm not interested. I just want Savior. I don't want Lord, you know, the Lord speaking in my life about the things in my life that need to change. I don't want him speaking into areas about being pure or loving my neighbor or forgiving those who hurt me. I'm fearful of that. I don't want to change. I don't want him bumping into my life. And because of that, I just want Savior and I, and I, and I don't want Lord. The reality is you can't do that. You don't get that. You don't get to choose that. Jesus is, is wholesale. You either take him for what he is or you don't. And there's a ton of people on the planet, maybe even here today, that as you think about Jesus, you think, well, he's just irrelevant. He's not important. He doesn't have anything to say that's significant or life-altering or, or, or pertinent or practical or, 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 or eternal in my life. And so because of that, you just kind of do your thing and you don't really even think about Jesus. Here's what I found in my own life, Okay is that there are some things I think about God, perceive about God, uh, things that, that I, I like about God, and, and I kind of begin to self-define who he is and, and say this is who he is. And the reality is that may not be the case. There have been plenty of times along the way as I'm reading Scripture that God continues to open my eyes and go, hey, listen, this is what you thought about Jesus, and it's altogether wrong. And maybe today that might be your story. Maybe today at the end of this you might go, I thought I knew who Jesus was. And what I'm coming to understand is that he's altogether different. Maybe it's because your experience is good and bad. You, you, the stuff that you've been through that caused you or caused me to land or come to some conclusions from those. You project some truths or some definitions 
onto who Jesus is. And the fact is, it might not be him at all. Maybe that's your story. So I want us to put all of this God is son under review today. And I want to put some questions under review in your life. And here are the questions. The first one is this. How do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? I want you to put that under review. When I say the word Jesus, what comes to mind for you? I want you to put that under review. What, 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 what do you actually believe to be true about Jesus? Who he is, what he does, what he can do, what he's powerful at. And then lastly, what do you think and believe about what Jesus thinks and says and believes and sees in you? Okay? All of that under review with the hope that when we maybe come to full, some full understanding of who he is, here's the reality. It might change everything and it might cause us to put our lives under review. That's what I'm hoping today. That's my prayer for all of us today, including myself. It's it's just like this, and you've heard this before. I've said this many times in my life. It's like putting a dress shirt on. The reality is if you can get that top button right, you get them right all the way down. You miss the top one. If you've done this, you button a shirt in the middle of the night or in the dark. You, you, you walk outside and the light exposes the fact that, you know what, you got the top one wrong. And so because of that, all the rest of them are wrong from there. This is the same thing as it relates to what we think about Jesus. If we get this right, then you know what? Everything else can roll right into place. If not, it's going to be a bad day. A.W. Tozer says this, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about uh, so, so we're going to dive in. If you've got an outline, I hope that you'll grab it. It's very meaty today, a lot of stuff. I want us to think about, consider, reconsider, and put under review as it relates to God as Son. So here's, here's where we're going to go. The first blank is, is the person of Jesus. We're going to look at the person of Jesus. Who is he? Who was he? God knew that we'd have a hard time with this, trying to figure out who he is. You know, it's this infinite, big picture of God. It's bigger than our little brains can understand. And so because God is so loving and so good, I'm going to make this easy for you. That was weird. I'm going to make this easy for you. If you want to know who I am and what I'm like, I want you to look at my son. I want you to look at Jesus. If you want to see me, look at at Jesus. If you've got your Bibles or smartphones, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start there, and that, that'll be kind of our, our jumping off point into lots of places. But here's the reality. The Colossians, the, the Christians that were in that city of Colossae, which is now modern-day Turkey, had the same wrestling match that you and I have. Who is Jesus? What can I count on to be true about him? What is he going to do? What does he promise? And so Paul, in his eloquence, gives us this great understanding. And I think you should probably begin to underline some key things that stick out to you in this passage. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It says this. The Son, the Son, which is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him, to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things on heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In your notes... Jesus is fully God. As you read through the gospel accounts, as you see him interact, move, teach, perform miracles, and do all these things, don't ever miss this. Jesus is fully God. 
And this passage that we just read is packed with significance. I want to kind of dig out or unpack some of those things. Verse 15, it says this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It means if you've ever wondered who is God, what's he like, what's his nature, character, personality like, you just look at Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Verse 16, in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him. And even though Jesus physically entered the world a couple thousand years ago, he already existed. Jesus was there in Genesis 1. He was there before Genesis 1. Translation, he created you, he created me, he created everything on purpose and with a purpose. He created you on purpose and with a purpose. We are created to know him, to walk with him. That's the point of your existence. It's why you were born. It's God's intentions for you, for me, for every person you lock eyes with. Verse, verse 17, Jesus before all things, and in him all things are, held, look at me, held together. Jesus holds everything together. Okay? He's before all things. Translation, he's eternal, which means he was before all things, he will be after all things, he's eternal. And he holds everything together. The fact that, that the moon is where it is, the fact is that, that the stars and the solar system is where it is, he holds all of that together. And then it says this in verse 18. Jesus is the head of the church and he has supremacy. If you're a Christ follower, Jesus doesn't just want to be your savior, forgiver of your sins. He doesn't. He wants way more for you. He wants to be your leader. He wants to be Lord of your life. He wants to be Lord of this church. Sometimes when, as we're kind of interacting with people, we kind of think, well, the lead pastor is like the leader of the church. He's not. He's not. Trustees, elders, they're leaders of the church. They're not. They're not. Staff, they're not. No. It's Jesus. Jesus is the leader of this church and all of his churches. He's the advisor, the sustainer, the supervisor, the director, and the ultimate shepherd of his church, universal. Verse 19. I love this. God, is, God the Father was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. Everything. Jesus got everything. He didn't have a, a third of God's power and God's personality. All of God dwelled in Christ. Okay? Verse 20, it gets better. Through Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross, he reconciles all things. He grabs everything. He grabs everything that you've ever done. All the stuff that you've done, all the stuff that you're ashamed of, all the stuff that makes you guilty, fills you, makes you feel uncomfortable, less than, unacceptable. He says, I'm going to grab all those things and I'm going to put them on a cross and, and, and my son's going to pay for all those things so that everything can be made right. Through his bloodshed on a cross. God says, hey, if you want to know me, take a look at my son. You want to know my love? Take a look at the cross. You want to know the hope that's found in me? Take a look at an empty, empty tomb that first Easter Sunday morning. That is who I am. Hebrews 1.3. I love this passage. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he has provided purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is the radiance of God's own glory. If God's a light bulb, when you turn it on, that's Jesus. He is the radiance of God's glory. It says that he is the exact, not a close, not kind of like, not 90% like. He is an exact representation of God. The imprint, the fingerprint of the origins of God's nature is found in Christ. He holds the universe by his powerful words. He's holding it all together. 
Whatever you thought of Jesus, okay, he is altogether more. He's more powerful. He's more loving. He's more relevant. He's more amazing. He's more than enough for you. He's greater than anything that you've ever done, greater than anyone on the planet, and he's worthy of our investigation, our worship, and our trust. That's who he is. Jesus wasn't just fully God. He's also fully man, okay? He's fully man. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I love what John 1.14 in the message says. It says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood, okay? We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. He became fully man. As you look through the Gospels, you will see that Jesus was born, he grew up, he was tired, he got hungry, he got thirsty, he became physically weak. Jesus probably had pimples, I'm sure he burped, I'm sure he did other things. He may have been tone deaf like me, I have no idea, but he got sick. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him, or vice versa. He was troubled, he experienced uh, loneliness, pain, and deep sadness. He had emotions like us. Jesus experienced great joy and happiness. He got angry and was frustrated. He was moved, amazed, experienced deep sorrow, wept multiple times over his pain and the pain of other people. He, was a, he had a human will, just like you and me. He had the ability to choose between what was right and what was wrong, what was good and what was not good, what was glorifying to God and what was sinful. He was tempted just like us. It says in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one, meaning Jesus, who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. He didn't sin. He wasn't exempt from the lies and the deception and the temptations and the accusations of the enemy. In fact, he rose up, just like Sean talked about in Matthew chapter 4, and he stood his ground and he fought this battle and and he was victorious over the enemy. Every single time. At every crossroads, at every intersection, whenever temptations came, when there were two deals on the table, because here's the reality, there are always two deals on the table from the enemy. Choose the right thing, choose the wrong thing. And he always did the right thing. He's a man who never said, hey, do as I say, not as I do. Jesus was never hypocritical. Um, Says he was tempted in every way, and he did not, never, ever experience the pain and sorrow of sin. He's fully human. And he did this. God did this because he wanted God to to be like us so that we could experience what he's like, so that we could identify with him, so that he could identify with us. And I love this in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. It says, who being the very nature of God did not consider equality of God something that he used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. God, think about God. God made himself nothing, became like us, became the very nature of a servant, was made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Tim Keller says that Jesus put on flesh, became vulnerable. God became like us. He, he humbled himself. He emptied himself and became obedient. Why? So that he could become killable. Why? Because he loved us and he wanted us to to, to be able to be free from our sins so that he could pay the price for all of our sin and our shame so that he could close the gap between us and the Father. He became the Messiah for us, the anointed one, which leads to the next point, the pursuit of Jesus. Write that down, the pursuit of Jesus. The person of Jesus, the pursuit of Jesus. And the questions are, why did he come? 
What was his purpose? Why did he die on a cross? Why did he have to come in this way? And here's what the scriptures say, Luke 19, 10. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You should probably underline that whole passage. To seek and save the lost. He came after you. He came after me. If if you've never given your life to Christ, this is what he's doing right now. He is seeking to save you because he loves you. It's a rescue mission. Romans 5, 6 through 8, I love this passage. It says this, when we were utterly helpless, underline that and just stop right there. When we were utterly helpless. You ever felt that way? Have you ever thought, you know what, I am utterly helpless. There's nothing I can do. Our condition is, is or one day uh, was utterly helpless. If you don't know Christ, you are in a condition right now, a state. I love you and I want you to know this. You are utterly helpless because of your sin. Okay? I'll just use a metaphor. Let's just say that there's a boat that uh, you, you, you fly to California. One of our members is flying to California today to see family. But you, you, you get on that flight, you get to California, you drive a rental car to the beach, and you get on a boat. That boat takes you to the middle of the Pacific Ocean, all right, in between the beaches of L.A. and the beaches of Hawaii, okay? God drops you off, dumps you in the water without a floaty, without arm wings, without a life preserver, and says, all right, here's the deal. It's 1,238 miles from either beach, either shore. Good luck. Start the boat and they take off. That's a feeling of being utterly helpless. All you can see is water. All you can see is waves that never stop. You don't see land anywhere. You're not sure if you know which way to go. You're trying to figure out the sun. What does it look like? And it doesn't matter how in shape you are. It doesn't matter how good a swimmer you are. The reality is none of us have have 1,200 miles of swimming in us. None of us do, which means we are utterly helpless. As the the water hits us, the the salt begins to burn our eyes and our face and and, and the mental and the the physical anguish that, that is assaulted on our bodies in the midst of that. We have no shot. Paul says, listen, I want you to understand this. If you, just so that way we understand our condition outside of Jesus, we are utterly helpless. And I love this verse. Here's what it says. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. You understand that? At just the right time. He came and he died for us sinners. Now, most would would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who was especially good. But here it is, verse 8. But God showed his great love for us, for you. Put your name in there by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. It wasn't because you were looking for him. It wasn't because you started kind of getting your life right. You know, now I'm going to look for God. He said, no, no, no. I'm going to go at you at your ugliest place. And I'm going to go at your greatest need, greatest need of desperation. And I'm going to lay my life down so that you can be forgiven and free. Why? To rescue you because of love. Max Licato is a writer and one of my favorite authors of all time. He, he writes this book, When Christ Comes, and he has this chapter in this book. It's called A Dad That Didn't Quit. And here's the story. It says, in, in 1989, uh, Armenia was, was hit with an earthquake that needed less than four minutes to flatten the entire nation and killed 30,000 people. Moments after the daily tremor calls ceased, a father raced to the elementary school to save his son. When he arrived, he saw the building had been leveled. Okay? Looking at the masses of rocks and rubble, he remembered a promise he had made to his, his son. He said, no matter what happens, I'll always be there for you. Driven by his own promises, he finds the area that may be kind of closest to where his son's room may have been. And he just starts digging. He climbs up on the, 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 the mountain of rubble and, and dirt and, and rock and, and, and steel, and he starts trying to clear that. 
other parents arrive and they begin sobbing for their children. It's too late. They yell at the man. Do you know they're all dead? You can't help them. Even a police officer asks the man to get down and stop. Encourages him to stop because it's over. You just need to come to grasp of reality. Your son is not alive. But the father refused for eight hours. Then 16. Then 32. Then 36. Wrenching hours. He pulled brick after brick, boulder after boulder, steel after steel. His hands were worn out, raw, and bloody. And he just keeps yelling his name, his son's name, to his voice is hoarse. Then after 38 hours, he pulls back a boulder and he hears a voice. He called his boy's name and he, a voice answered him, Dad, it's me. The boy added his excitement, these priceless words. I told the other kids not to worry. I told them that if you were alive, that you would come and save me. And if you saved me, that you'd save all of us. Because I remembered your promise. No matter what, you'll always be there for me. Gateway today. You have to know the love of the Father through the life of the Son. He has not quit on you. He didn't give up on you. Do you know that? Even when you feel like giving up on you, God's not giving up on you. Jesus came on a rescue mission to pull back the boulders of our lives, to save and free us from our past, to adopt us into his family, to redeem and restore everything in our lives, and to give us a brand new life. He wants to save us. He wants to save you today. Which leads to our last point, the invitation of Jesus. The invitation of Jesus. You see, Jesus was always inviting people to do things with him and for him and to follow him. And he would teach about God the Father and the love of the Father. He performed miracles. He loved those that were, that were most overlooked. He, he hung out with those that were furthest from God. He was always moved toward the hurting, the worn out, the beaten up. He became friends with fishermen and corrupt tax collectors and liars and prostitutes and beggars and the divorced, the sexually wayward, the ashamed, the physically, mentally, and spiritually broken. And Jesus' message over and over and over and over and over again was this, follow me. Yeah, you follow me. No, I know everything about you. Follow me. No, I know what you think about you, but I, I want you, I'm inviting you to follow me me. Come, follow me. Lay down everything and follow me. You know, if you're tired and weary, lay all that stuff down and follow, follow, follow me. That's his invitation to us. God's invitation to us is found in, maybe you've heard this passage before, John 3, 16, 17, for God so loved the world, and you should put your name right there, for God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever, 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 whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him God gave up his only I've seen some new babies here today and we've had some babies our, our church is super fertile and there's plenty of people that are in the process of adoption um, and I've said this before but I will say it again I have three kids and I do love you but I wouldn't give up one of them for any of you. Not the best of you, not all of you, not all the world. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. And I'm actually glad I'm not God. I mean, that's the reality. God gave his only for you, for the worst in you, for the secrets, 
the shame, for the guilt, because he loves you. And it says, for God did not come into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send Jesus to go and tell you how bad you were, or how much you've missed it, or how far off you are. It says, he came to save you. He didn't say, hey, listen, I've built this long bridge. If you'll just meet me halfway, then we'll be good. Here's the deal. Jesus, through God through Jesus, took every step but the last one. The last one belongs to you. Question. What does that say about God? And what does it say about Jesus? And what does it say about what he thinks about you? In your notes, Jesus answers the mess of life with one word. Grace. Grace. See, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting the opposite of you deserve, that you deserve. Judgment is getting what you deserve. And you don't get mercy. You don't get judgment. You get grace. You get grace. God's invitation is this. This is crazy. God's inviting you to be fully loved by your creator. That's his invitation. He's invited you to be completely forgiven of all your sins, to be reconnected back to God, to, to be given a brand new life and a new relationship with God. That's, that's his invitation to you. You've been invited to be adopted into God's family, to be called a son or daughter of the one true God, the king of all kings. That's what your invitation is. You've been invited to live your life with the assurance of God's love, the promise of God's strength, that no matter what comes your way in your life, no matter what breaks loose today, here's the promise. God is always going to be with you. That's the invitation today. He's invited you to live your life without fear of anything, including the fear of death, because here's the deal. Because what Jesus did that first Easter Sunday morning, we don't have to be afraid anymore. He's the firstborn. Of all those who were dead, who were coming to life, the reality is we don't have to be afraid of that because one day when we die, guess what? We're going to live. That's your invitation. You've been invited to live forever in heaven with Jesus and those who trust Jesus in his death to allow their sins to be forgiven and those who trust him in the resurrection that, that, they, could, that they could move beyond this grave and live forever in heaven with God. That's the invitation. Here's the question. Is there a better invitation on the planet? If there's a better deal out there, you should take it. But I just don't think it's available. You've been invited by Jesus to the life that you were created to have. I want to close with just two passages from a guy named Peter who was a follower of Jesus, who was one of the first preachers. He's got a couple books in the Bible. Um, but this was, this was when Jesus was in the middle of his ministry and he's got these 12 guys and Peter's trying to figure out who Jesus is. And just like the disciples, they've been called to follow him. They're learning, they're growing in their understanding of who he is. And Jesus just got done speaking and performing miracles. And it says this in Luke 9, 18 through 20. It says, one day Jesus left the crowds to go alone to pray. Only his disciples were with him and he asked them, who do they say that I am? Okay? Asking them kind of, what's, what's the review? What's the, what, what are people kind of saying about me? They've, you know, there's all these things, all this stir, all this buzz. Under review, what are people saying about me? And here's what he said. Disciples said, well, they, some, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say an ancient prophet of old that has been risen from, from the dead. Then Jesus points it to them. And I'm pointing it at you today. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? 
I know there's all these people, and I know there's all these things, and I know there's all this discussion, and I know there's all this stuff on Facebook, and all this stuff on Instagram and Twitter. I know that your aunt said this, or your crazy uncle said this, or that crazy nutjob Christian said this, but who do you say, who do you say that I am? Based on this book, based on this, the, the life of Jesus, based on what the Father says about it, who do you say that I am? And then Peter said these words, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah sent from God. Peter got it. And it changed everything in his life. And I want to challenge you today to see Jesus for who he is. Not who someone else says he is, not even who I say that he is. Who is Jesus? And chase that with all that you are. Like so many in the room that have said these very words that Peter said, you're the Messiah, the Son of God, and I accept you as my Lord, Savior, and friend. I want to plead with those of you in the room that have never taken that step for whatever reason and allow Jesus to be Lord of your life, leader, Savior, forgiver of all your sins. And friend, constant companion that will walk with you, that will live in you, that will, that will never, ever leave you. If you've never taken that step, today could be the day. Making Jesus Lord and Savior, going public with your faith and being baptized into him. Let me close with Peter's words to every person that would ever read this passage. Second Peter 1.3, it says this. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God, the best invitation we've ever received. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That can sound narrow, that can sound closed-minded, or it could just be the most loving thing that you've heard today. Jesus said, I'm the way. Follow me. I'm the truth. Submit yourself to me. I, 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 am, I am the one who came for you so that you could be forgiven and free. And I, I want to plead with those of you who have never taken that step to come talk with somebody today. To let us answer questions that you have. Let us pray for you. If, if, if you're in a place where you've just never gone public and you want to do that, we would love to celebrate God's newness in your life. That's our prayer today for you. For the rest of us, Gateway, let's live in, in a greater awareness of who Jesus is and what he's done, and what he wants to do in all of our lives. Let's trust him, let's live for him, let's worship him, and let's go into the world and proclaim him, his love and his grace, because Jesus has come. Jesus is God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you so much for this day. Thanks for the hope that's found in Jesus. And God, we just, we have to get an accurate picture of who you are. God, may, us, may, us, may we lay down, strip off the things that aren't true about you that we've heard or we got a bad picture or we heard this from whomever. God, help us to see you for who you are today. And God, I ask that you would, you would as, we, as we begin to get a picture of who you are, that you would begin to expose yourself and encounter us and that we would encounter you and that we would never be the same. God, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for giving us a picture of who you are, a physical, tangible picture so that we could understand you more and more, that you would know us and know the struggles that we have, even to give Jesus a common name in that day so that he could identify with us, so that we could one day identify with him, so that we could become like him. 
God, I ask that you would speak to us today, God, that you, your Holy Spirit would speak to us in the ways that only you can. And it may have absolutely nothing to do with what I've said today, but God, that you would have your way in and through our time. God, thank you so much for this church, for the fact that it's built on an anchor. And that anchor is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He's our Lord and our Savior. And God, I pray that more and more people would come to know you for who you are and be free, free and free and free. God, thank you for being the Son of God. Thank you that your word tells us that that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. God, thank you for telling us that in your word that you are the same yesterday, today, and all all of eternity. That you don't change like shifting shadows. God, that you are the bread of life, the light of the world. God, may may we embody that as we live our lives for you. God, may you have your way in our time. In your name we pray. Amen.